Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Yoga Revealed podcast. We're coming into the transmission of yoga this year more than we ever have before. And I, Alec Bashal Rubin, am so honored to be in this present moment alignment with you. Welcome back to the podcast, my friend. Before we dive in, I'm excited to share an announcement with you. Join myself and Andrew Seely in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, June 11th to the 14th for the 10th annual Hanuman Yoga Festival and experience a deep weekend of practice with many senior teachers. Class registration is open now and there are three-day passes and Thursday immersions with incredible humans like Gurmuk and Sean Korn. You can save 10% using Yoga Revealed 2020, one word, if you go to hanumanfestival.com forward slash tickets for immediate access to locking your spot in. I'm super stoked about this festival. I've been going the last couple years and I'm excited to see you there. Today's episode is with a new brother of yoga in my life. I have a high amount of admiration for Eric Thuss's journey in yoga as I've been hearing about him over the years through mine and our teacher, Eddie Modestini. I've always considered my relationships with teachers that I really stuck to as centered around the, the feeling that they're able to really describe the experience that they're having and really describe what they're going through in such a way where then I can take that, wash it through my own system, and little by little begin to embody it. And then the hope is at some point that I can do my best to actually pass that on as well. So, you know, for me, I really believe in the mouth to ear tradition and I feel a great responsibility there actually. The owner of Westside Yoga Studio in Sebastopol, California, Eric has been blessed with so many incredible teachers on his path, just as I have. And if you are a student or even a teacher that is highly interested or somewhat interested on how one can go deeper into their practice over years and decades to come, then this is an episode for you. Tune in with yourself 
as we tune in with Eric Thus on this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Namaste, Yoga Revealed podcast. This is Alec Michelle Rubin, and I'm super grateful to be here with you today. It's been a beautiful journey into 2020, and wherever you are, I hope that you are practicing well, practicing consistently and earnestly. I've got a very special treat to offer and to to share with you. You know, it's beautiful how in the journey of investing oneself into our own personal practice and studies and at the right moment, you know, I've heard it for so long. And I, at first I really didn't like the phrase, you know, when the student's ready, the teacher comes. And as so many of you know, over the last four years, almost five now, I've been studying very deeply with Eddie Modestini. And through that, life has also brought into my life other incredible teachers and practitioners and thus new friends of the family of yoga. And I'm really grateful to be sitting with my brother, Eric Thus, who is an owner of Westside Yoga Studio in Sebastopol, California. And currently, we're deep in a intensive in San Francisco with Manuso Manos. And I'm, I'm so grateful, Eric, for your time and your energy, brother. Yeah, I'm excited to be here, man. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely, man. I'm really excited to do this. I don't get to do interviews all that often, so it's really cool. <laughs> cool. Be able to share some thoughts. Absolutely. So, you know, the, the first question that we, we love to ask people is, Eric, how, how was yoga first revealed to you in your life, in this lifetime? <laughs> Okay, this is going to sound roundabout, um, and I've never actually answered it quite this way before, but it just kind of came to mind. I had a funny experience when I was about 12, and I would have never, I'd never heard of yoga. The only yoga I knew was Yogi Bear on TV. I grew up in Pennsylvania and uh, kind of old school family values, and so I'd never had any uh, concept of yoga or even Eastern thought or any of that. I grew up in a UCC church and, um, and my parents took us to church on Sundays as just part of trying to establish a value set for us. You know, it wasn't like they were fundamentalist religious in any way, but they really believed that that would give us a foundation for just being kinder people, you know, and just better people in the community. And so I can remember a time when we got a woman pastor in the UCC church, and this was like a big uproar in our community because it was the first time it had happened. And she took us, because uh, around 12, we went through confirmation. And as part of that, she took us on a camping trip where all the kids that were getting confirmed kind of hung out for a weekend. And I had never done anything like meditation. I always prayed, but I didn't really, really understand what I was doing. I was just kind of like praying to some brown haired dude in the sky. And you know, like a lot of us did when we were little, trying to figure it out. And uh, she walked us through this guided meditation. And part of it was that we were walking through a long road in the middle of the forest. And she was encouraging us to smell the smells and look at the vivid light in the trees. And she really made that part of it come alive for us. And I can remember being really immersed in it. And then she said, take a turn to the right and walk into the forest. And essentially you're gonna come face to face with God, right? <laughs> and what's bizarre is I have no concept of anything that had to do with yoga or 
energy or anything like that. I mean, it was the furthest thing from my imagination. I was like an athlete, you know, kid. And when I did that and I walked up to what I was imagining to be God, I got this shot, hard shot in my sacrum, electric shot. And it stayed there for a couple minutes. I had no idea what to do with it, but I felt this thing kind of pulsing, kind of like electric, kind of strong, kind of round inside my sacral tailbone. And I never talked about it really. I didn't talk about it with her, but years later, I ended up stumbling upon some stuff by Ramana Maharshi. This is after I had done psychedelics and I was trying to kind of come up with something that could help me understand the universe more and something mm -hmm. to kind of hold on to when I was like 18, 19. And he started talking about Samkhya philosophy and that is actually what carried me into yoga because after reading about Ramana Maharshi, I was looking for something where I could learn more. And the only thing I could think of was, well, a yoga class kind of sounds like it must be something to do with that. So I went to a yoga class and then I started learning about all these kind of internal dynamics. And so it tripped me back actually to when I was 12 and had that experience. So it's a bizarre way that I came into it actually. Um, and I always attribute it to Ramana Maharshi, but the truth of the matter is that experience, uh, it opened something up in my mind more than anything. I, I'm not going to pretend it was some kind of shock to you. I have no idea what it was, but, um, and, and I don't really, you know, try to um, make it more than it was, but it definitely stayed with me. And when I started learning about the internal anatomy of yoga, then I was able to plug some things in back to that point that made sense. Um, and that really, uh, and that, fit in a natural way. Nothing that I had to like really uh, come up with. It was just there, you know, it was just self-evident. So that's actually really how it came into that's it. That's a pretty cool yeah, that's story. A that's cool. So, you know, it's cool, Eric. I see how that like, for me, seeing you and re recently meeting you over the last couple months and being able to share the bond of having a deep connection with Eddie, mm -hmm. you know, I, I see where you're at now and having that, um, that introductory to, introduction to yoga, however many years ago, mm -hmm, and to being, you know, owning this incredible yoga studio in Sebastopol, Westside Yoga Studio, and and, and um, having been to India, how many times, roughly? I mean, I'm sure you can't really count, but Seven, uh, okay, okay. I've done like 16 sure. months in India. So now. 16 months in India, and having some some very deep connection to senior level teachers mm -hmm. in the Iyengar yoga world past and still present living. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few gaps in my timeline mm -hmm. and I'm curious, you know, mm -hmm. from having that introductory um, vision of yoga coming into your life mm -hmm. and then being quite far along, you know, I mean, I I'm deeply inspired by your journey and your mm -hmm. path and what I get to learn from seeing you where you're at and where you've been and, and a, where you're going. Cause mm -hmm. it shows me more of where, I get to create in my own journey in, in serving the yoga in an earnest and integral way. Yeah. You know, so, so fill in the gap for me a little bit. Are you with me? Cause like, how did India come about? How did you got to spend maybe like what? One to 5% of the yogi population spending time with Mr. Iyengar. Mm -hmm. I mean that, you know, that, that you know, we don't, I don't, I don't hear that a lot. We mm -hmm. don't get to hear that a lot, maybe in the community that you're in, but mm -hmm. at least in my communities in Boulder and, 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 and even on our podcast, you know, mm -hmm. there's not many people that I've been able to spend time with an interview that have had such 
powerful time mm-hmm. studying with either Patabi Joyce or BKS Iyengar or other senior teachers, gurus that are past, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. where was it that you were like, this is the path mm-hmm. that I want to walk and I want to follow this. I want to study the subject of yoga. Mm-hmm. How did that happen for you? Uh, that came down to, okay, so when I, I'll start right where I left off in the sense that the first yoga class I went to, I can't even remember his last name anymore, but the guy's name was Mark. He was a really, really nice guy. He was a a devotee of a guy named uh, Muktananda. And they used asana as a preparation for seated meditation, but they included things like shirshasana, sarvangasana, all the standing poses were there. Um, but they just, we kind of just banged through them um, as a preparation to sit. And, and then the, the focus was really meditation in those classes that I was going to. This was, uh, this was in Olympia, Washington in 1995 when I was like, I just maybe just turned 19. And uh, what happened was that I signed up because I was trying to figure out something that I could do that I really believed in for work. At that time, I was working at a bakery, and it was a blast, and I loved the people, um, Gene and Judy, at at, uh, San Francisco Street Bakery in Olympia, which I think is still going on. Really cool place. They took in all the misfits. I was a complete misfit. And they took us all in, and they were good to us, and we were good to them, and we had a family there. And so, um, but by the same token, I knew it wasn't something that I really, you know, I wasn't sinking my teeth into it like it wasn't a, a, a purpose, per se, right? So I thought maybe I could do massage. That was kind of where this all started. And there was a school down in Northern California in Southern Humboldt County called Hartwood Institute. And I found out about it because I was seeing the Grateful Dead and stuff at that time. And it was just on the circuit. People had heard about this place, Hartwood. It was kind of like one of those places that you hear about. And, uh, you know, the kids were excited about it because you could go up there. It was almost like a commune, but there was much more structure. They were an accredited massage school at the time, which I think was the only one in California. And there was a really high level of education going on there um, around, you know, eating whole foods, uh, permaculture design. This stuff was like birthing, you know, it wasn't pop culture yet. <clears throat> and uh, and the massage curriculum was really like top notch at the time. So I signed up for a two week intensive and I went down there. And at that time, uh, there was a guy named Paul Pitchford who wrote this crazy encyclopedic book called Healing with Whole Foods. He was teaching the Tai Chi, and there was an old junior three Iyengar teacher named Ganey Aransky who was teaching the yoga. And both those were mandatory if you were in an intensive, and they were also part of the regular curriculum for students so that they could learn uh, to basically become embodied with whatever they were learning. They were basically learning body knowledge, you know, and internal literacy, like I like to call it. And... So I remember taking that first class with Gaina, and that was the first time that I had ever heard the kind of layering of instruction that comes with the Angar Yoga. And that was just like, it was done right then and there. You know, like first five minutes of class, I was like, this is where I want to be. So I went back, sold all my stuff and moved down there immediately. Like <laughs> I just literally pulled the plug and moved and joined their work exchange program just so that I could study yoga. And so that's how it really kicked in. And So I really had a great opportunity with her because I was only required to do 20 hours a week. And I was a good worker. I was from the East Coast. Like we we grew up working, grinding, you know. And and so um, I'd bang out my 20 hours a week and, you know, in the afternoons. And I had like three, four hours in the morning to do to to really dig into practice. So I was studying with her really intensively. 
And then she started to take a couple of us on because she knew we were interested, you know. And so that was a really unique experience um, because she was she had so much to give. And we were just so ripe and so young and so fresh. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I got to attribute everything to her. All that, all everything that I've learned in, 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 in some ways really goes to her because she she really did light the spark for me. Boom. So then the spark of yoga was lit in you. Mm. And, and here's an important side note tangent question. What does it mean to you to study yoga under somebody? Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? Well, in some ways it kind of depends on who it is. I, I'm not a kind of, I'm not the kind of student that really jumps around too much. Like, um, but in a lot of ways, I mean, I've been really fortunate to have the teachers that I've had. And I always say that because it's given me a really good foundation. I feel like in something of depth, like I really feel like the teachers that I was around, uh, were really able to capture their own internal experiences in a way that made their experiences very alive. And also then we're able to project those into the classroom or into us as students, or at least put out the information in a way that we could really take the ball and run if we wanted to. And so uh, in some ways, that's a lot of it is I was keen to listen, you know, and I didn't, uh, I really strive not to miss details because these people, uh, a lot of times, you know, you have like kind of an eclectic I mean, a bizarre band of people studying yoga, you know, in some ways we're the misfits of society in some ways, because we always, you know, Manusa says this, we always felt a little different. We didn't know why. And, and that ends up kind of rolling out um, when you really dig into an internalized practice, um, practice of internal absorption, uh, because you're opening out what really becomes this kind of bottomless, endless, mysterious wonder, you know, and uh, so... I've always considered my relationships with teachers that I've really stuck to as centered around the, the feeling that they're able to really describe the experience that they're having and really describe what they're going through in such a way where then I can take that, wash it through my own system and uh, little by little begin to embody it. And then the hope is at some point that I can do my best to actually pass that on as well. So, you know, for me, I really believe in the mouth to ear tradition mm. that yoga is, you know, and, and, uh, and I feel a great responsibility there actually That's beautiful. to be part of that. Um, because I've been around like wildly generous people like Angar gave it all. Gita gave it all till the day she died, you know. Manuso gives it all. Eddie gives it all. You mm -hmm. know, these people, um, you know, they they give more than willingly of themselves. They almost give with like a, a fervor, yeah. you know. Um, and that to me is a really high value. Yeah. So at yeah. that point, you know, Spark was lit and uh, you got the, you give, you give that, the credit of that to our teachers. And that, I think that's important. For, for yeah. us as earnest and true students, right? To, to acknowledge who we've learned from so we can share that. I think it's very powerful and very valuable. And, and when did it hit you? You're like, okay, I'm going to invest. You put a lot of time in not just traveling mm -hmm. in India. It's like, no, you were staying put mm -hmm. and 
Pune, I believe, mm-hmm, studying mm-hmm. with Mr. Iyengar. Mm-hmm. And, and you got very close with him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've, I've heard some stories from, from Eddie mm-hmm. for the last years of Iyengar's life and how you were, you were there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, can you give us a little timeline? What, what was your experience like working with him mm-hmm. from the beginning of when you started there towards the end? Like, I'm sure you can talk endlessly on that, and you mm-hmm. do, and you have, and you will forever because mm-hmm. that's a cherished experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think... First of all, it's important for me to say that uh, I didn't actually have a whole lot of time around him at all. Mm-hmm. I had, you know, seven months straight, and I had that time really right up next to him, essentially because as as carefully as I could, I kind of bullied my way in there is what really happened. I went there. Uh, I had been to India, you know, to Pune before. I had studied with Angar in China when he came out of retirement. He taught a, a little, uh, like a three-day gig over in China. I went there. And so I had been exposed to, to Mr. Angar um, and, and, you know, from the perspective of him teaching, because at that time he was long already retired. He was mainly teaching uh, his granddaughter how to teach. He was mentoring her. And so I got to be around for some of that. But when I went to India, I kind of dropped everything in my life. And I said, OK, this guy's 94 going on 95. And and I was deeply touched by him, you know, and I'd seen so many people that were deeply touched by him that had essentially taken up the the banner in some ways. And, you know, when I was coming up in yoga, it wasn't popular. So someone who was interested in yoga or these people that were taking up the banner, let's say for BKS Angar, they they were part of a movement that felt radical to me. And so that was always something that I really, again, admired because they weren't necessarily um, popular for it. They weren't necessarily getting paid well for it. They just had the grit and the belief and they had the heart to carry on a teaching that had profoundly affected them. And so I took that as very genuine, you know, and uh, so when I went to Pune to to really try to dig in with him, because that was my main mission, I said, you know, I'm going to go there and and I'm going to do my best to be helpful to because uh, I had known uh, there's a guy named Raya who uh, is long time in Pune, grew up around Angar and ended up really uh, helping him out with a lot of his setups in the last you know couple years and. And same with his granddaughter, Abhijata. Well, I, I kind of made up my mind that I was going to help them as much as I possibly could to make their lives and jobs a little easier. And I would do what I could also to help Iyengar because I knew at that point from being around him a little bit before of just how uh, passionate he was about helping as many people as he could. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go there and try to do as much as I can to help him. And I'm not going to ask for a thing. I'm not going to ask him questions. I'm not going to get in his face. I'm going to get in and get out, be helpful, get out, try to learn, get out. But, and so I, you know, I rode that line pretty hard um, in the sense that I did in some ways push my way in there for better or worse. But, um, you know, and, and there was a point at which he started to call me over and take me on. And I, I didn't know whether that was ever going to happen or not, but it did. And so um, there are a lot of people that have a lot more time with him than I did. And a lot of people that had time with him over years and decades and multiple decades that, you know, in some ways could really answer this question a lot better than I could. And, and I owe them a, a great debt, but my time with him, um, you know, it blew me away. I, I, uh, I always really kind of say the same thing about it. And that is that 
to be around Mr. Angar and to get him uh, engaged with me or to engage with him, I had to essentially be vibrating at a much higher level of, uh, of function than I could even muster on most days on my own. Like, in other words, in my workaday life, I don't even think of operating at the level that I had to be to be around anger. He demanded it. So whether it was helping in medical class or, you know, he'd throw me into one of Gita's class, say, go help those people on the wall, or he'd pull me over to show me something that he wanted us to work on, you know, the couple of us that were digging in. Um, but he always, he always just uh, in and of his nature, he vibrated at such a level that he really wouldn't even pay me any attention if I couldn't come to that as a baseline. He started us. I always say that, you know, because we're in this kind of uh, age of consent and tokens at the front of mats and all this stuff. And, and I get it, but by the same token, um, like with him, he started us well beyond what we thought our threshold was. Like that's where we started. So (laughs) if you were trying to like hold a boundary or hold a threshold, he wouldn't even, there was no chance. Um, because he was interested in taking us into an expanded state of mind. And so that starts generally beyond what our perceived thresholds are. Wow. And I believe in that. Yeah. That's, to me, yoga. Yeah. That's big. Expansion of the boundaries. Expansion of our boundaries. And how, do you, how, do, you, how do you practice in that? Well, I was just about to say, you know, that's, and that's a, that can be a really painful process emotionally and intellectually. And it's painful on the ego structure because it essentially, that kind of practice causes us inherently to take a serious look at who we think we are, uh, both internally and in the world and reevaluate it on kind of a moment by moment basis. So for me, it was, a lot of being willing to completely give up the notion of who I thought I was and uh, and essentially just kind of tear those structures down and do my best to look at myself and into myself and into what I consider to be practice um, in a very different way than maybe I could have yesterday. You know, like he's real famous for saying things like, yesterday's maximum is today's minimum but you know people will take that and they'll say oh well okay so you have to do more backbends no that's not what he meant I don't think at all although that's implied but um, he was really when I would have these little interactions with him he was always very much focused on expanding the boundaries of what were possible in uh, the field of the mind and Mm -hmm. in the field of what you could consider consciousness which involves you know, the, uh, the, the, the thinking structure, and it also involves the higher mind and the intellectual structure. It involves these impressions that come out of the subconscious mind. It involves the emotional experiences that we go through. And, um, and then the very kind of sense of identity that we tend to hang on to, he was willing to, and actually like, uh, driven in a lot of ways to, keep piercing into that and relooking at it and continue to expand what I, what that meant to him. That's the way I perceived it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these, these kind of statements that he came up with, um, 
I always viewed them as having a lot more meaning than do 108 backbends instead of 101 or something, you know, sure. which I, I think that gets misinterpreted a lot. Well, I love that. I think that, yeah, I'm going to comment on, um, we can kind of go deeper into the idea of, you know, uh, uh, expanding the mind and, and, and processing. You know, we process a lot in in our style of practice that we, we embrace. I yeah. think no matter what you're practicing, you're going to be processing your life, right. ho- ho- hopefully. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, f- for for me, I, like one of my, my dear brothers who, he doesn't practice yoga and I love him. He's one of my soul brothers, one of my best friends. <laughs> and he was like, Alec, like, why are you taking another training? Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. haven't you done like 10 of those? <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and he, he Bless him. I have my hands in my heart right now. He doesn't get it. Right. Because he doesn't practice yoga. Mm-hmm. He hasn't invested himself in that until what, like Manuso said, until someone's in like enough physical pain, maybe emotional, maybe. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll take on yoga because, yeah. you know, they, they hear it could be of assistance. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. its own conversation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I find that the depth that I'm able to process my own life and stuff mm-hmm. that bubbles up to the top, especially as we're holding postures for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Maybe not as much in Manusa's classes versus Eddie's class, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, there, There is that expansion of consciousness and mind. And I'm curious for you, having, how long have you been practicing yoga? Uh, it's 25 years. 25 now. years. How long have you been teaching? Um... It's over a decade now. Cool. Uh, yeah. Okay. 11, 12 years. Do you feel there. like 25 years deep mm-hmm. that you've been able to process things maybe a little more swiftly, gracefully, or does it take as long <laughs> as it used to when you first embraced? You know, for me, I'm, I'm, I'm practicing now um, eight years mm-hmm. and – or practicing nine years and teaching eight. Mm-hmm. You know, I jumped into teaching mm-hmm. right away. You mm-hmm. know, as many, many – um, practitioners seek to do mm-hmm. in now de- now times, mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. it's cool. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, you know, can you, can you comment on um, your personal processing of your emotional experience and what life is throwing at you front on speedball, curveball, highball, softball, you know, whatever <laughs> is coming at you, and how you a- 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 address that in your yoga practice? Like, what's that look like for you? Mm-hmm. That's a really interesting question. Um, I'm setting myself up here. So, you know, it's like, I want to say that it depends on which day you ask me that question. I would probably have a different (laughs) answer, actually, because some days I sit here and I'm like, man, I'm not learning a thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it really does feel like that. And then some days, good days, I feel like, wow, I, you know, can't even imagine uh, the the, the Eric thus that was 10 years ago. You know, they're they're both of those simultaneously. So... um, In some ways, it depends on the ebb and flow of my practice because the way that it works for me anyways, and you know, you hear different people say really different things about the way practice affects them. I'll go through waves where uh, a couple months kind of have a certain flavor to them and kind of I go through certain ranges and then other months have other flavors and sometimes it feels like 
Uh, in some ways I'm gaining a ton of ground and my internal world is opening to me. And in some ways I feel like I'm gaining intelligence and stuff like that. Like things that are really, and I, I'm not saying this to blow up, you know, to blow my own balloon up, but, but I really do feel like, um, as far as like, uh, signposts go or milestones go in the yoga practice, there really are months, uh, especially with pranayama when, when, when pranayama feels like it's going well, or when I feel like I'm really in a groove of, digging into the the regular practice of pranayama, I feel like uh, internally uh, my brain powers up, my memory's up, my concentration's up, my uh, ability to not react mm. to things one. that are coming in are much better. I have kind of more openness around that kind of stuff. I'm able to laugh at myself more. I'm able to kind of... <laughs> Just take situations more lightly and be less reactive and maybe uh, more responsive to life and, and to input. And then there are times where it's just not going so well at all. And I fall back into deeper aspects of conditioning that I, you know, kind of came up in or I get kind of irascible or, you know, because mm -hmm. I kind of grew up as a hothead. I was a punk kid on the East Coast. So I have that, you know, I fought. <laughs> I was a kickboxer. So I have that part of me that. Not every person that practices yoga has. So I've wrestled with different things maybe than, you know, some of my colleagues and friends because um, mm -hmm. I've got some fight in me. So I deal with that as part of my internal structure. And mm -hmm. I deal with, you know, getting kind of hot-headed and uh, these things that, you know, maybe, the, you know, like my girlfriend, for instance, doesn't deal with that kind of content in her life so much. So mm -hmm. um, when I look at people that are around me practitioners that are around me and what they go through and how they process um mine moves a lot with my practice i think as a continuum though over the you know the course of let's say a couple decades i absolutely uh have my heart has softened a lot actually and i'm able to uh like like let's say i'm going through any given week in my life at home um, I really want to bring some brightness to the clerk at the gas station. I try to say a kind thing to someone who I can tell is having a hard day. I, and those things, those little things have become a really natural part of my life because I know what it's like to go through the whole range of emotion through practice, through kind of keeping myself contained inside the that container of practice and seeing how much I fluctuate. Mm -hmm. And so it's given me, uh, and I'm really like painting over this question in one big swoop. There's a lot to mm -hmm. it, but, but just to keep with that, just to paint over it, um, it's really given me, uh, in some ways, I feel like a broader, um, ability to relate to people in all the swings that we all go through and say, wow, you know, like if I'm going through it, they're going through it. And mm -hmm. it's caused me to really want to um, be whatever small part I can of uh, cheering someone up, easing their suffering, giving them a little bit of like a you can do it type, mm -hmm. you know, and that's simple stuff, yeah. you know, like it's, it's really simple stuff, but the desires there in my heart, like I don't remember it being so much um, when I was maybe more self-absorbed or hooked into what's Eric going to do? Like I've let go of some of that stuff through the practice. Well, it and so sounds like from the beginning, as a whole, yoga has brought to you from once being a misfit mm -hmm. to being able to not only fit into the collective, but also serve. 
the -hmm. collective. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's there for sure. That's Um, sweet. You know, and the school's given us a great vehicle for that. I, um, but yeah, I mean, it's because, you know, here's the thing, like if the practice, this is, uh, this is something that I really kind of dig into with my students a lot is like one of the measures because we've become overtly asana heavy and then, you know, maybe pranayama gets sprinkled into the average yoga class and then, you know, maybe a teacher will poke in some yama niyama if they can. But, um, you know, largely we focused on these very, uh, a couple aspects of what really is the kaleidoscopic practice of yoga. And so part of what I'm always trying to do with the students, because this is so baked into me at this point, is to remind them and to encourage them to use these, um, what happens in an asana practice and in an internalized asana practice and what happens in the scope of a pranayama practice, which is much more challenging internally, inherently, um, as a vehicle to better understand um, and to and to essentially um, better get a handle on how they are the second they walk out the door. Um, you know, who they are when they walk down the street, who they are when they're back with their families, who they are when they're with their partner, lover, husband, wife, whatever it happens to be with their kids at their jobs. Because in the end, it's like... Um, if you go with the notion that we're absolutely unhelpably connected uh, and intrinsically interwoven, right? That there really is no individuality, that that's just part of a vidya, right? This is the concept, um, uh, essentially a mistaken identity. Mm. Well, then the asana practice and part of this whole um, rolling into chitta vritti narodaha or... Um, you know, the, the Tadadrashtu, the third sutra, these, these ideas that eventually we can rest in the eternal as the, as the outer layer shed off and we can rest in this kind of uh, open space or open being. Well, on the way there, there's all kinds of uh, uh, layers to that thing happening. And for me, it's like, a big part of that has to be kindness. A big part of that has to be loving someone when you really don't want to, uh, you know, which I go through all the damn time. A big part of that has to be how can you reach to someone by pulling a little more out of yourself than you might want to in a moment. I mean, it's these moment to moment choices that we make, uh, these moment to moment decision pieces on how we're going to be um, through each step of the day that to me really crystallize um, how a yoga practice is affecting us in life and if it has um, value for us. Because, you know, yoga could just as easily be gymnasium culture. Very easily, mm-hmm. you know. And, and in a lot of ways, it's become that for a lot of people. I You know, I don't tell people when I get on an airplane that I teach yoga at all anymore. What do you say? Because I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Um, because I, you know, <laughs> the, the, if you... This would be a fun game for you because you're with the podcast. Start asking the average Joe on the street what yoga is. And you'll just get the craziest answers in the world. And so, um, you know, I've stopped saying that. I, I, I make stuff up. I say I'm a teacher, um, although I usually get hooked back into then explaining what kind of teacher I am. So, you know, I'll say I'm into excavation, which I have a background in excavation. I just go back to my old stuff just to try to avoid the question. But, um, yeah, it's like... 
even if it's an asana practice, and this is the bizarre thing about asana, somehow it works to open the prismatic internal body and the emotional body and the intellectual body and, and these sheaths that enable us to essentially become more open and kind and uh, forge into service better as time goes on. They should do those things. Mm. To me, that is baked into yoga practice. Yeah. Um, and it's part of how the body naturally unravels when health is on the increase and congestion and stagnation and, uh, you know, dis-ease are on the uh, way out in whatever mm. form they can go out. But that happens through asana and breath and internalization. That happens. That should be mm. part of it. So for me, that's a signpost and, and, you know, you know if, if I can do that, um, then I feel like at least I'm on the right track, mm -hmm. as lost a lot of times as I do feel in this yeah. practice, because I do. Well, I, I love that. I mean, I think that's acknowledging uh, our humanness, mm -hmm. you know, being human. And so at some point, you know, you decided that you wanted to take your own service into a deeper, more massive way, and you mm -hmm. opened a studio, mm -hmm. I think when you were 33. Something mm -hmm. like that. I think yeah. we had that conversation. Yeah. And so what, what what was that like for you? Opening, you know, your studio is so beautiful, Eric. Mm -hmm. It's incredible. Oh, I mean, thanks, the, the, yeah. the, 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 the energy in the room, yeah. just the wall, the props, and, and the photos that you have in there of of the Guru's past and, and you know, it, it resembling a lot of Eddie's studio mm. in Haiku mm. on Maui, mm. it's it's mm -hmm. very special. And to be able to have having walked in there, it, it gave me full body chills. Mm. It was very special because I'd heard about your studio for years after studying with Eddie for years and spending, you know, I don't know, five plus months at this time in Eddie's studio oh, cool. and just going deep into that studio, you know, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. I mean, just in this year, I'm going to get March and all of August. Cool. In in uh in the Maya Yoga Studio, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm curious. So can you can you tell us what was that like for you opening this studio up that is very much different than just a a, 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 t a typical studio that I have walked into mm -hmm. in the past. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Eddie's studio was definitely a model for us because I had spent some time there too, and um, and I thought he the, he did such a good job. Um, so the whole gig was the whole concept there was temple like atmosphere, right? So that it could be like this non sectarian temple church type place, mm -hmm. right? Without, I mean, I'm not trying to put too much on it, but, but, uh, that was there for us. So, uh, and as far as opening it, my brother and I opened it and we had no idea what we were doing. So <laughs> really, truly, like it wasn't, we didn't make a business plan. I mean, yeah. None of that was there. Honestly, we just had no idea. The reason we opened it at the time, uh, we had moved to Sebastopol. Eddie and his uh, wife, Nikki Doan, had just moved to Sebastopol. Uh, Mirka Krafso, who was a student of Krishnamacharya's son, Desikachar, uh, and helped found you know the American Vinayoga Institute. She had just moved there. And then a really close friend of mine, Johnny Smith, who was a longtime student of Patabi Joyce, uh, certified at third series and a very close, like, again, you know, three, four decades student of Patabi Joyce. He was living there. So at the time, we opened the studio because we were pretty convinced that 
um, and this was really our number one priority, that we could assemble a, a, a stronghold essentially of really high quality teachers who had embodied the practice for a long period of time and were really skillful at passing that on. Um, and we knew that, like we knew we had that cat in the bag. And so that was the birth of the studio, just that idea. Okay, we got these powerhouses, let's open the doors and people are gonna find us. And it was literally as simple as that. As simple as that. I mean, we started out with nothing on it. We opened the doors because we thought we had the right teachers. Mm -hmm. And that proved out, but I mean, we had a lot of crazy, so cool. crazy stuff happen along the way, building it after we, I always say I, I, what it was like for me is like tying a cinder block to my ankle and jumping off a pier because I had no idea what I was doing in terms of that, you know, in terms of, I mean, like we never ran it like a business. It was nothing like that. It was like, come if you can figure out that we're here and hopefully you'll get touched by this practice, you know, like the kind of like I came into it, you like, you kind of had to find it. Um, and that's the way we really rolled it. And, uh, and then it evolved over the years. And so. You know, a lot of stuff that you were able to see when you came there. We, you know, my brother and I had collected that stuff over years in different parts of India. And, um, you know, welded the rope wall and built the horses and all that stuff. You know, all that stuff was over even the last couple of years that a lot of that got put together. So it was a work wow. in progress. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a it was a complete whim in some ways. Amazing. Based on, you know knowing that the teachers we had could do something special in that community. I love that. And I'm curious, you know, if you're open to sharing a little bit on like, what, what does your own practice look like, Eric, from, from a point of also recognizing what, what I love so much about yoga on the inside and Iyengar yoga is very mm -hmm. so much about, to me at least, mm -hmm. addressing on a day-to-day -day basis mm -hmm. where we're at emotionally, physically, energetically, life situationally mm -hmm. and, 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 and utilizing our practice tools from pranayama meditation, asana, mm -hmm. supported asana, maybe a little more stronger or a soft practice, again, depending on where you're at. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and having those be the tools of self-reliance. Mm -hmm. and, and I'm curious for you, like just a general scope, like mm -hmm. if you feel open to sharing, like mm -hmm. what's, what's your practice look like to, to, for those that might be thinking about it, of like yeah. where you're at? Because you've got Ashtanga yoga and you've got Iyengar yoga at your studio. What is it that you do? Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm pretty straightforward, you know, because I had so much time in Pune and, 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 you know, a long time now, 12 years with Manuso and assisting regularly. And then, you know, a little time in with some other teachers, but I'm definitely kind of straightforward in, in the Iyengar yoga vein at this point. Um, and so what I try to do essentially is I wake up in the morning and I kind of, well, pranayama is always first. So I wake up and I basically drink some hot water, go to the bathroom, maybe drink some black tea. And then I sit down. Um, I usually crack a window because I'm in a place that has like amazing, uh, I'm in the redwoods. So the, the quality of the air is just like unbelievable. So I usually crack a window in my downstairs and I sit down and have some form of pranayama practice and then um and that changes from sitting upright to laying down yeah but you know at this point i used to lay down a lot more at this point i usually sit pretty that's kind of my practice cool. i mean I'll, I'll lay down on some days if i have a headache or something or um you know if i'm particularly tired i'll start sitting and lay down it just depends but for the most part i'm sitting cool um and 
then it kind of goes from there because some days I'll get really tired in that process and I'll burn out sitting. Some days it'll really energize me and it'll kick me into practice. Some days I have to drag myself into the room and practice. Um, and so it just, in some ways, is all over the place. And there are days where, for instance, I'll go in the room to practice. I have a yoga room at my house now and it's pretty dialed in and and, um, and it's like a home to me there, you know, so I mm -hmm. seek it. But mm -hmm. um, but there are days in some ways where I drag myself kicking and screaming. Can we speak there. about that? Like, uh -huh. I, I'm trying to remember the exact <laughs> word, I think, because uh -huh. I think a lot of people can resonate with yeah, that. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Like, and, like, you know, I think there's a honeymoon. Yeah, it's not romantic. There's a, a honeymoon days. phase. I don't even want to pretend it is. You know, there, some days a, it's rough. There is, some days it's rough. There's a mm -hmm. honeymoon phase. I remember when I first got into yoga, I was like, where do those honey day, honeymoon days go? Yeah. For sure. And right. also, sometimes we do got to kick and drag mm -hmm. and, and, and to get in there and, and do the practice and mm -hmm. just, like, get that day frequency embodied, right? Mm -hmm. Um Gosh, I mean, can you just speak to that process, that process in itself? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just really a matter of some days are better than others in terms of how well it works out. Some days I walk in the room. Um, if I'm really feeling flat, sometimes I'll look at like notes uh, that I have from an old training with like, let's say, Abhijata or whoever it happens to be. Maybe some notes that I took when I was around Angar to try to get inspired. Some days I'll walk in there and throw myself into handstand just to like pump energy around so I want to move. Some days I'll walk in and walk back out and squirm around and try to figure out any reason not to practice and then just, you know. So it is literally all over the place. Um, but generally I can say that I know this well enough now to really try to throw myself at it on my hardest days. And that is nine out of 10, if I get myself started with something like Utita Trikonasana or dog pose or whatever, handstand is a classic for me first thing because I struggled with it for so long. Mm. Um, if I can get started against all my own will and really against my own desires, a lot of times within the first five minutes, I'm starting to get inspired. Mm. It's just like it kicks in. But that doesn't always happen. Some days it's just hard. And some days I walk out of the room and bail. And some days I trail off and make an excuse to walk outside and do something else. So, you know, and <laughs> then some days I get in there and I really go. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, that's not the most flattering answer in the world, but that's but it's the real. reality of it's the situation. Really. And, and, you know, um, I love what Manuso really said from BKS today. He said, burning zeal in your practice and, and seeking for a burning contentment mm -hmm. and working towards them both. Right. And sometimes they're interchangeable and in where they follow. Mm -hmm. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. This is the Abhyasa Vairagya um, yeah. idea. Yeah. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, and, and again, that ebbs and flows. I, I, I have months where things really feel like I'm in a groove, you know, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden I'm like, where the hell did the groove go? Yeah. That's there. Yeah. Um, you know, funny things happen. Like I always notice like after I go to India and I'm dug in, because then in, in, in Pune, the way the context is set up, we'll start seven to nine in the morning is class with, with Ayangar's son, Prashant, and then nine to noon is uh, personal practice time. So usually I'll go seven to noon straight. And after doing a couple months of that, I'm, I really am in a groove. And then I'll come home and I almost get what I call this yoga backlash where it's like, I'm repelled so hard away from that kind of practice. So that is a bizarre thing that happens because 
it's the most counterintuitive thing. It's like I'll get into these grooves of practice that uh, are so profound and I have so much time to devote to it. And then uh, a lot of times when I come home from that, I struggle Mm. and I have to keep going back in to stay with it. And it's more of a struggle um, than usual. That's Mm. always a strange thing that's confusing. Well, it's an interesting paradox because like, let's say weeks, days, weeks, weeks, and months Mm -hmm. away from teacher Mm -hmm. and then you're getting your home practice in or you're doing whatever you're doing Mm -hmm. and you're having those struggles to like get with it and stay with it and, 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 and go towards the yoga. Mm -hmm. For me, it's been since April, 2019, since I had like a full six, seven hour a day immersion Mm -hmm. with Eddie, but I've seen him and HS Arun around the year in 2019 to be able to, you know, get some weekend weekend downloads. Like I saw like 10 hours in a weekend. So like, okay, there's a little recharge. Here's a little recharge. And I think you get where I'm going where it's like in those points when we might fe- be feeling a little uninspired and the zeal isn't there mm-hmm. to go. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well, that's maybe the sign. Like, where's the teacher mm-hmm. to teach us again to get the recharge? Like, mm-hmm. I'm on mega recharge right now, getting a week with Manuso and mm-hmm. 10 days with Eddie and Christian, then another weekend with Manuso right, on Mount. Right, right, like, yes. I got 23 days, six hours of yoga a day. <laughs> yeah. I'm like stoked about it. Mm-hmm. And it's gonna charge me up for the next six, six seven months mm-hmm. until August in 2020 in Maui with Eddie again for a whole month. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm sure you can relate to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't, it's funny. Cause it's like, I don't, this is a very odd thing to try to understand from where I sit is like, I don't run short of inspiration. I'm really inspired by the practice. Um, and by just being immersed in something that feels like it's meaningful and got mm-hmm. depth and keeps opening me out to, more uh, of this kind of mystery inside. I'm inspired kind of, like I literally wake up inspired most mornings. Mm -hmm. I wake up and I'm really inspired just to be able to wake up and greet the day. Um, But it's what it is a lot of times is walking into the room and knowing that I'm about to experience myself straight on in the moment. That's the hardest part actually. But this is this concept of tapas, right? Like tapas implies burning. And this is something that is really, I think, central to yoga in the preliminary stages of preparing the body and the mind. There's a burning process that we have to essentially willingly surrender into. And it's that that gets me more than anything. It's not for lack of inspiration. It's actually just the raw intensity of facing myself Mm. when I walk in the room to face myself Mm. uh, that I get tripped up on. But again, it's like some days I let it get the best of me and a lot of days I don't. Mm -hmm. I just keep going anyways. And then it gives way and turns and there's a different kind of experience into that, uh, into that side of it. But, uh, I love it. But yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> it's a burn. It's, you know, I, these are ascetic practices, right? This mm-hmm. is these these are austerities, mm-hmm. um, even to the point where I don't I don't get down with this at all. But you know, um, even to the point where you've got these guys who are holding up their arms for years at a time are almost they're self yeah. self deprecating, self mutilating. That's um, not really part of my belief system at all, but transmutation 
of the human system is part of yoga, um, right down to the to the sound forms and everything. I mean, these are all transmutative practices, and man, that is uh, in my face sometimes. Mm. Like I don't want to change as much as yoga is asking me to change. Wow, I mean that sentence Manuso said has been sticking with me all week. He said. If you want to change, you can't stay the same. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the nuts and bolts. But it's a painful process, mm-hmm. um, and I don't try to downplay that. It's a, it, for me, it's been a painful process inside. Um, and the richest of processes, but, God, it's hard sometimes, man. Man, this is you know? not for the weak of heart. Not for the weak of heart. It is for heart. the courageous. Yeah, that's, the, that's, that's it. Yeah. Wow. Well... A couple more questions. Yeah, shoot. We're wrapping up. You got yeah, it. I love this. I love this so much, Eric. I'm so grateful for your time, brother. <laughs> yeah. Um, we can, you know, we can put any word before yoga and after yoga, ashtanga yoga, anger yoga, hot yoga, kundalini yoga, mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. At the essence of it, what is yoga to you? Uh, I mean, you know, it's for me, I, I feel like yoga is really clearly defined. Yoga is the cessation of the fluctuations of the mind stuff, right? Mm-hmm. This complex. So I don't, I don't have my own definition because I feel like it's been thrown out. And it's been thrown out in different ways. You know, we have these concepts that come out of the Bhagavad Gita. But, I mean, hard to beat Patanjali's definition. You know, Swatmarama says a slightly different thing. He says pranavritti narodaha, which is... In some ways, um, well, drastically different, I guess. But I guess we could, we can find commonality in both those. But I'm with the Chittavritti Narodaha idea. Um, and the more that I learn, the more that I'm with that idea, you know, and the more um, profound and interesting it gets to me and the more, uh, the more big it feels, you know, it's... Um, you know, when you get these glimpses in practice uh, of anything that, you know, it's funny how, how my life has gone because a lot of times I'm getting experiences that are spontaneous and direct long before I've ever read about them. And that's been a great thing in some ways because it's it's like I haven't talked myself into this stuff. I get these kind of uh, really amazing glimpses or kind of uh, really wonderful moments inside the practice. And then maybe months later, I'll read about something that's in the Upanishad or somewhere in the Bhagavad Gita or somewhere in like uh, Yagnavalkya Samhita or something that Ramana Maharshi says about a Granthi or something that is a detail that I had no idea about was even part of the, the, the philosophy or part of yoga theory or any of that. Um, and that stuff gives me a lot of faith. Um, and it helps me kind of get a sense that, again, I'm always looking at the signpost, like, okay, they talked about this way back when, what does it mean to me today? Does it have relevance? Is it just woo woo that I can't really get a hold of and understand? Or is it something that we can embody today and is it relevant to us today and so a lot of what i do inside of practice and then bouncing that against you know day-to-day life is i'm looking at signposts and like okay where is the practice affecting me what is like you said in some ways like what is yoga well um i'm looking to see if 
the way that I'm practicing asana is quieting me. I'm looking to see what kind of breath quiets my internal uh, uh, waviness or, uh, you know, all over the placidness. Um, so I'm bouncing my experience off of these signposts that are laid down in things like the sutras and the Gita and Yajnavalkya and, you know, Ramana Maharshi, because I think he's so brilliant, um, really kind of captured this. I think Ramana Maharshi really captured the essence of yoga in an embodied way. So I look to them. I, I really do. I look back to all those examples. I look to things that Iyengar said. I look to things that Iyengar wrote down. Because he's, you know, he's, he's uh, prolific in what he's written down. He's thrown out so much. Um, you know, and in light on yoga and light on uh, pranayama and all those. And then in the Ashtadhaga yoga malas, like these things that most people don't get to read. There's just so much information mm -hmm. that he shot out there. So I study that stuff and I see if it's relevant to what I've been going through. Um, and but yeah, I mean, I, that was a long winded answer to a simple question in some ways. That's but beautiful. it's a simple answer. It's yeah, to man. me, it's really... I go with that yoga chitta vritti naroda. I don't think it can be worded any better. You know, I say the same thing when we get into like goat yoga and chicken McNugget yoga. And yoga is a, a yoga is a um, it's codist. Like it's a, it's a codist. It's a it's a philosophy that um, there's not much ambiguity there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's clear transmission. It's it's a yeah exactly. It, there it is a philosophical system um, that rides right up there with you know a lot of the other great thinking systems of the world and so i've kind of gone on that because i've had faith in it from the beginning you know and maybe that's for better or for worse but um i see a lot of this new stuff coming out and people kind of self-defining their own version of yoga but i don't look at it that way i look like i look at it as if uh yoga itself from a philosophical perspective and from a practical even perspective is already defined you know there's there are um pretty rich long time codices that have been thrown out there for us to look to and then you know i think it's really important for most people to get to a teacher who has embodied a long time practice to help translate some of that and Beautiful. help us along but um yeah i I'm, I'm with that. Cool, man. I'm really with that. Thank you. Yeah. I love it. Well, do you have any uh, 2020 trainings that are on the map for our listeners oh, to a, know about? I got workshops at my school. I can't even remember the dates, honestly, but I got date. I got an April date, and I, I do something about every other month at my okay, school. I cool. do a we'll Friday. We'll post the link in the, in the description. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do yeah, a Saturday-Sunday thing. That's Asana Pranayama. And, um, I'll probably... I'm going to probably hit the road in the next year or two and start teaching out more because I keep getting asked. So cool. I think I'll probably get out there a little more in the next couple of years. But I run pretty busy at the school. But uh, but yeah. Well, two things. One, what if you're interested in, in studying with Eric, Westside Yoga Studios, Sebastopol, California, if you happen to be a studio owner yourself and this conversation's inspired you, get in touch with me and I'll get you in touch with Eric and maybe he can teach you your studio. And final question golden nugget a golden nugget to pass on to the listeners right now who have made it this far into this journey of a conversation on, on 
you know, their own journey in yoga. One, one little golden nugget. Mm. My my golden nugget, I, I don't know if it's golden, but my nugget's pretty <laughs> simple. I If you can drag yourself into your practice space on a very regular basis, uh, I, I, I really feel like uh, you stand a pretty darn good chance of finding something wonderful in there and experiencing yourself in a, in a, in a magnificent way over time. I think that that is, that's really there for all of us. It's something I really believe and it's something I've seen play out time and time again. Um, this is a practical subject. It's a, it's a subject that asks everything of us as practitioners, but it's very practical. Uh, that's the best I can give is get in the room and practice. Um, you know, like a lot of, I do a lot of car time, for instance, I spend a lot of time in my car and I spend a lot of time in my car chanting pranava, just om over and over and over and over mm -hmm. again. Uh, I use my day-to-day -day life in my so-called workaday world as a way to practice um, because I can't always be in my room for hours on end. And so... You, you, the best advice or ideas I could throw out to, you know, maybe the whole world or whoever's listening to this thing is bake it into your life in a way that really works, like simple stuff. Uh, Ohm in the car is an amazing practice. Um, being kind to the person behind the, the checkout stand is an amazing practice. I mean, this stuff is meant for day-to-day -day life. And um, if you can do that, I think you're doing a wonderful thing as a human being. You know, my, my, my ideas are simple. That's great. Yeah. Well, brother, namaste, man. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you. you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. All right, we hope you have a beautiful rest of your day. Thanks for tuning in. Till next time, namaste, my friends. Yoga Revealers, I am so grateful to learn and study yoga together through the wisdom of others walking in this path. You know, they say the greatest wisdom is found through the experience and learning with and from others. Eric Thus has a wealth of wisdom to share and invites you to study with him in Sebastopol, California at his studio, Westside Yoga. You can check out westsideyogastudio.com and you can look up the 2020 workshop and intensive lineup for more information. And it's something that I've taken on for myself when I feel like I need that recharge, seeking out the next practice or training, or even if it's a workshop immersion, it's just so valuable to support our journey in continuing to practice. The past few months have been so exciting and connecting with more individuals in Colorado through the podcast and online through social media on my Instagram page of Alec Love Life Yoga and sharing the passions of yoga, life and nutrition and where we're all going on this journey to find more clarity. Clarity is really found in engagement. We have more exciting announcements coming for you soon. So stay tuned for all the exciting things that are happening in the yoga revealed world. This is your brother of yoga, Alec Vishal Rubin, sending aloha vibes and all the blessings to you. Practice on. Namaste. Mom. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.